come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my work. Let me lead you into it. Let me take you into the mind of a woman and welcome to Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. I'm your poltergeist, Kinsey. I'm your poltergeist, Donna. I'm your poltergeist, Mac. We have poltergeist Ryan here from Horror Hangover. Hi, everybody. Ryan, thank you so much for coming. And this week, we are still in our devil suite leading up to Exorcist Believer, and we are discussing the 1973 film, The Exorcist. We have finally made it after 100 plus episodes. But here we are. The Exorcist, except no substitutes. Yeah. The Exorcist. Not an Exorcist. Not some Exorcists. The Exorcist. I would watch an Exorcist. <laughs> I would watch that. Oh, I would watch it, but, you know. One of the Exorcists. Some of those Exorcists. Them A Exorcists. Exorcist. But those Exorcists, though. <laughs> Now that we've had our fun with the definite articles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's go around. Had you seen this before? Had you not seen it before? Also, since there are two versions, which version did you see? And did there you are like three versions, technically. Oh, three, but sorry. We'll get into that. Yeah. yeah. I have seen The Exorcist before. Uh, last night, very late. Oh, no. Yes, very late. I watched the version Polterguide Mac loaned to me, which is the version you've never seen before. This was in 2001 when they pressed that disc, so we've all seen it now. But yeah. yes, oh, okay. I, yeah. Uh, which is the director's cut, the extended version. It, it's it's a weird mid-creature. It's beyond the director's cut. It adds things that the, even the director's cut doesn't have. Yeah, so I have seen it before. What I find interesting is... The only parts of it I remember are the parts well where Reagan are well and truly possessed. The whole rest of the movie just does not stick in my mind. Except the steps. I remember the steps. Because they're pretty iconic, I guess. I'm about to get kicked off the podcast, so I'm just going to say that it's been a great few years. And it's been an honor talking to y'all. I don't really love this movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's not the scariest movie ever made. Meh. Anyway, it's been fun. Bye, y'all. <laughs> uh, so I had seen this before. Uh, I watched the the 1973 cut, the one that was in theaters. I do agree with you, Donna. It's not the scariest film I've ever seen. There is a scene, and we will get into it, that terrifies me to the core of my being, but... It's not the scariest movie I've ever seen. It's fine. Like, I think the problem with this film, because of when it was released, there's a lot of hype around it. And so there is a buildup in your mind. And when it doesn't hit that in your mind, you're like, eh, it's okay. That being said, I understand the merits of it. I, I see the talent and everything involved. I'm not oh, trying sure. to, yeah, I'm not trying to shit on the movie. It is very well made very well crafted very acted the hell out of but it's fine it's you know it's not one i go i go back to but yeah yeah i agree completely you or me ryan 
You go first. Okay. I've seen it before. I read the book ahead of time. Uh, this time, I had never never read the book before. Uh, I watched the theatrical cut. I watched the version you've never seen before. I watched Exorcist II, The Heretic. I watched Exorcist Three. I watched uh, Dominion, prequel to The Exorcist. And I watched the first season of the recent Exorcist TV show. I guess I could see where you guys are coming from, that like pound for pound, it's not nearly as scary as its reputation. I found the theatrical cut to be a little disappointing. There's very few differences between the director's cut and the version you've never seen before. The version you've never seen before allegedly has more subliminal imagery. And I think that's where the movie really like drills into your head a little bit. All those weird single frame cuts of Captain Howdy in the background kind of like peels back my brain a little bit to the point where that night I was like getting up to feed the cat. And then I'm looking at a dark space and I'm like, nope, I don't like that. God damn it. Freaking you did it again. So there is something about the movie that lingers. And I think that's where its secret strength is. You're not terrified in the moment. It's a couple hours later where you're like, nope, I don't like being anywhere that I'm not complete. That's not really well illuminated. Thank you. Yeah. So I unabashedly love this movie. I watched the director. I, no, I watched the or theatrical cut last night. I have the other two versions. Um, so I've watched the, the director's cut 10 or 20 times. I was trying to write an exorcist kind of novella. And whenever I got stuck, I would watch the director's cut. So over like a year, right at the end of grad school, I watched this movie 20 or 30 times. Um, I've read the book and I read a book on the production of The Exorcist, which had some interesting stuff in it. Um, that was eight years ago, six, seven, six years ago. So I might have some, uh, I'll bring up some of the stuff as we go, but I'm not sure I'll remember it perfectly. I did love the subliminal imagery. I will say that there was, there was a couple of yeah. shots where you'd be looking out of Reagan's mm -hmm. room and you'd see that statue in the shadows. Those were good. The scene where Chris is coming home right after Burke dies and the lights start flickering. And then there's one shot in the kitchen where the lights go out and Captain Howdy's right there. And I'm like, no, no, you've been a wrong movie star lady. <laughs> yep. Well, for those of you that don't know what The Exorcist is about, our good, good buddies at IMDb and Max Nemesis want you to know when a young girl is possessed by a mysterious entity, her mother seeks the help of two priests to save her daughter. There's some factual errors in that, but I, that's what I expect from IMDb. <laughs> she seeks out the help of one priest and th that priest tells two priests <laughs> and they tell two priests and so on and so on. And the the entity is all not, not all that mysterious. She like the the entity's fucking with them occasionally, just like I'm the devil. Like no, you're not. Well, maybe I'm not. <laughs> um, and, I was go ahead. I was working on a joke about the T one thousands father, but I couldn't get there. This was actually the most interesting thing I learned about this movie is that I've forgotten his name already. Jason Miller was the playwright who wrote that championship season. Mm -hmm. He was a playwright before he was an actor, and he wrote that championship season, which is a classic. And yeah. he's also the father of Robert Patrick, who was the Terminator 1000. I thought it was Jason Patrick was who his from okay. Lost Boys. I am incorrect. 
you're right. As soon as you said Jason Patrick, I realized my error. Uh, speed two cruise controls, Jason Patrick. Yeah. I think yeah, that son, is not Robert Patrick. That is, in fact, not Robert Patrick. His son did direct the excellent film Final Girls, which is a ton of fun. Final Girls is great. Um, I was but being so what, cool there for a minute. You were. I, I was like, I was like, really, really. I started looking up. Like, did I miss that? No, well, I. Yeah. It's too early. I've only had one and a half cups of coffee. Okay, uh, go on. I interrupted you for no good reason. <laughs> what the movie's really about is it's a study in HR problems that the Vatican leads to some creative uses of pea soup. <laughs> or, and this one's a deep cut, the prequel to the absolutely terrible Apollo 18 is actually pretty dope. Because there's that one scene. And I'm thinking about the timeline of the Apollo missions. It's 1973. They're not launching any more of those that we know about. And he's all like, I'm going to go to the moon. I'm going to take you with me. You're going to be the first missionary on Mars. And Reagan's like, you're going to die up there. And I'm like, I think she's right. I do think that's one of the most disturbing scenes in the movie. It always like still like I know it's coming. I've seen the movie 20 times. It just gets me the way she says it and she's peeing and the look on her face and just the absolute shock of everyone else in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and there's that unnerving quality in there when you're watching the other cuts, you're, you're thinking, oh, is this where the spider walk comes in? And then you think about it rationally afterward, like it couldn't possibly be the spider, right? Because then Father Dyer sees the spider walk and he's going to go right back to the rectory and be like, okay, guys, <laughs> I need Marin on a plane now. So, Mac, you have opened up the door. Yeah. The spider walk is the scene that yeah. terrifies me to the very core of my being. I've seen this the that one time. I've seen it now in clip shows and that's fine. It still terrifies me to the very core of my being. So when that DVD came out, Editor Billy had never seen The Exorcist. And I had just seen the theatrical cut. I was like, you know what? Let's just, we'll rent it. We'll watch it. It'll be fine. You know? And we watched it late at night. So when you said that, I started giggling. And that happened. And I damn near crawled out of my skin. And I'm like, (laughs) whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know this. I don't know this. I don't know this. And he's kind of giggling because he's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, of all the things added into the later cuts, I don't think the spider walk works all that great. From what I understand, and Ryan, correct me, because you've read a little deeper into this than I think I have, it, the spider walk was a point of contention between uh, William Friedkin, the director, and William Peter Blatty, the uh, author and screenplay writer and producer. Blatty really wanted it in, and Friedkin didn't. And I get the sense that the director doesn't want this scene in the movie because it kind of starts and then it cuts off very quickly. Like on the day Friedkin saw the spider walk, it was like, nah, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, let's not like, but, but Billy, we need pickup shots. No, we don't. This is never going to be in the movie. Like, believe me, I'm William Friedkin. We're not putting the spider walk in the movie. Next. I remember, right. The, the contortionist who does the spider walk doesn't look like Reagan. And I think that was Friedkin's contention. Okay. Like, it looks like an adult doing a trick, not like a child. I, I could see that being the problem. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it it's it, 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 like, because there's blood coming out of her mouth, too. It just it feels like it's coming out of a different movie. 
Yeah. It doesn't really feel organic in that, in that moment. Yeah. And it is a creepy shot, but the problem I have with it as part of a horror movie, I look at that shit scene go, ah, and then, oh, that's a contortionist. Nicely done though. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's how I react to a shot like that. So. I haven't went back and watched it as an adult, so I can't, I'm not disagreeing with either of you. Uh, since we are talking about the differences of the film, I do know the theatrical cut was the cut that Friedkin wanted. So anything yeah. cut, he was he was fine with. This wasn't like the studio wanted him to cut it because it was too blah, 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 you know. No, it's yeah. none of that. Like, that was what he wanted. So I The director's definitely... cut should probably be called producer's cut more accurately. Yeah. 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 Mm. Okay. So can we talk about the makeup on Max von Sydow? Because the man was 43. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that explains a lot because I got such uncanny valley off of Max von Sydow. Every time he was on screen, I was like, well, you look what at am it. I looking at? Yeah. And, and you're and you're thinking like, oh, man, like he he had to die shortly after this and he'd only died like a year or two ago. And I'm like, come on, that's not, yeah. yeah. I remember seeing him on Game of Thrones because he was on Game of Thrones. He played a tree for some reason. Um, I cannot explain those last seasons of Game of Thrones to anybody. But <laughs> Nobody can. Exactly the same. Like the makeup, they did such a good job predicting what he would look like as an old man. Because like when you see him as an old man and stuff, you're like, yep, they nailed yeah. it. Yeah. Well, yeah, even looking at him in Force Awakens, like you could do a side by side of how he looks in this and Force Awakens. And you're like, yeah, that's that's pretty. I just thought he's one of those dudes that looked like he was 80 for 50 years. <laughs> I'm going to be one of those guys. So I'm not like I'm not pointing fingers. It took my brain a long time to understand that that was makeup because I had seen him in Flash Gordon, which is just like a couple years, or more than a couple, but a few years later, and he does not look like Old Man River, so I'm like, how much makeup did they put on this guy for Flash Gordon? And then, you know, finding out special effects and everything. So. There is, There are a few moments when you when you realize just how, like, what's going on with Cito. You, you're, you're like, okay, there, there's that makeup there. But then you watch Exorcist 2, The Heretic, and they put the makeup back on him and it's not the same level of care and quality. And you're like, oh, wait, no. They knew what they were doing in that first movie. This this is the bullshit. I think it's Dick Smith that does the makeup in the first yes. Exorcist. And I think I think it was Ralph's makeup emporium that did it in The Heretic. So <laughs> <laughs> they had a local community theater troupe, Mac, yeah. that that needed to practice slash front for the mob. I mean, like there was, there was some stuff going on. <laughs> I think the makeup on everyone else was also excellent. Like the way Chris's bruise fades over yeah. the course of the movie. And even at the very end, when we see Reagan without any of uh, mm -hmm. the demon thing, you can still see like the traces of it. It's just very mm -hmm. well done. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's just a little bit of modeling, which is actually how a bruise fades. You know, there's just like, it's it's really well done. The makeup is really good in this film. So All the years of watching Face Off has led me to this moment to discuss well done old age makeup. Thank you, Sci-Fi yeah. Channel. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant the movie. I was about to get really excited. 
Sorry, Donna. I love the movie Face Off. And there's some great movies that completely foul up the old age makeup. I think Back to the Future had three movies and never quite got it right. There's um, some where it looks like they just put Elmer's glue on the face and let it dry right. and be like, good <laughs> enough. Or they thought like it, it, Planet of the Apes style, like, oh, they're going to be in the background. So you don't need it's just a just put a mask on that guy. It'll be fine. And then resolution got better and better. And then we're like, oh, that's not Crispin Glover at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I will say this. What speaks to the power of this film is that until it chapter one, this was the highest rated R rated horror film. Really? Like, yeah. Box office wise or box or... office wise. Yeah. Or excuse me, highest grossing. Excuse me, highest grossing. Highest grossing. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. Halloween didn't knock it out. Mm-mm. Or even Blair Witch. Mm-mm. The first one. No, no. Blair Witch's distinction is the. I think the it, independent quality. Yeah, of, the yeah independent both, both for that and Halloween. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. That's interesting to me. I thought so too. I. Yeah, in the photos of like people lined up to watch The Exorcist. With yeah. protesters on the other side, it looked like it was wild just going in, in New York City at least. I'm sure if you were somewhere else, there probably weren't protesters. I don't know, Ryan. You know? <laughs> I, I don't know what the Catholics would have. To, I say the Catholics. Like, like this is that, that kind of a construction to a sentence is a tee up to a slur. I don't know what the Catholic community would have to complain about in this movie, other than the fact that it's just really not meant for children. Like, children should not watch this movie. It is intense and uh uh very graphic uh-huh. but the priests are super relatable guys super smart super cautious and ultimately quite heroic like there was a moment they were like oh i think i could be a priest oh, of course i can't but there was a moment where i was like yeah i want to be Karis. like when we're playing go priests go <laughs> yeah when we're playing exorcist out in the backyard i get to be Karis, and that's how it's gonna be <laughs> From what I read, it was like very divisive among yeah. Catholics at the time. There's some Catholics who thought like you thought, because um, William Peter Blatty intended this to be like a conversion text. If you would watch The Exorcist, it would scare you so badly. You'd see the devil exist in the world and you would return to Catholicism, which is a big problem the Catholic Church was facing in the 70s, but also kind of still facing 50 years in between now and then. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure what the people who didn't like it, what their issue was. I think they just think it was too sensationalized because this is supposed yeah. to be based on a real case of a boy being possessed in St. Louis in the 50s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are things done to crucifixes that I can imagine the diocese were like, let's let's not. OK, sure. But man. I have never had, I've never, like, and I've seen the movie before, and I liked Karis before, but I read the book now, and I'm like, Karis is my guy. Like, I I, I like Karis a lot. I almost like Karis as much as I like Officer Hawkins in the new Halloween movies. And that is a gold standard of, come on, guys, bring it in. We're gonna, Let's hug it out, guys. Like, the guy hates his job, but he's good at it. Like, I, that's a guy I can relate to. I do think the movie succeeds because we like all of these people and they feel real more than it's like scary. It's like, yeah, we know these people and like the line, like, why you do this to me, be me, which I say to Betsy every time she makes me mad. Um, (laughs) But uh, like that line is not scary outside of the context of the film, 
But when you've been with him in the nursing home with his mother and she says that and the demon repeats that, it becomes, if not terrifying, hurtful, deeply hurtful. Because you're right there with Karis. He is like Marin is the wise wizard of the piece, but Karis is the hero. He's the one that we're starting with and he's working through some stuff and he comes to some kind of change resolution at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to comment on the Jesuits in particular. Mm -hmm. The Jesuits are a particularly educated sect of Catholics. They really seek out knowledge and science-based sect, which is what Karis is. Yeah. And not being Catholic, I'm no expert on Catholicism, but as soon as he said he was a Jesuit, I was like, okay, I got you, dude. I got you. How, like, how picky are the Jesuits about the whole Jesus thing? Because, like, would they accept somebody who's like, well, I don't know, like, right out of the gate? I don't know. Probably, they, they, they're probably picky about it. I'm dropping this. I'm not going to become a Jesuit. It's 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 done. It's out. I like them. I, but I, like, there are other organizations that I could never join. I, like, I'm, I'm too old to become a writer on SNL. I don't believe in God enough to become a Jesuit. That's going to be the title of my autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> but because of that title they would then assume you are a writer on snl yeah, yeah or 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 a late night talk show indeed and that's fine that's fine yeah. i think you guys uh, have been with talking about karis and all of that touched on why this film does work is because we do see that normalcy of everyone everyone there's a lot of yes chris is obviously a very famous actress but she's got problems with an ex-husband like there's a lot of relatableness going on and i think that also plays into the strengths and that when the horrifying starts happening then it's it kind of it, it gets you it just yeah, grabs it, you. it works to make you relate to the characters and then puts them in a fantastical situation yeah and you the verisimilitude of that works a little bit better like when somebody's spider walking or there's pea soup flying you're like oh no it's not necessarily that uh, the devil vomited into Karis's mouth. It's that my buddy Karis got some pea sh- soup shot at him. That's not a good day at work for anybody. There are times in some literature and movies when I get irritated at how rich some of the main characters are. Like, why? Why does this character need to live in a mansion? But there was one moment in this film where I really appreciated the wealth of Chris. And um, it was the absolute fleet of primo Benzes that she had at her. That was nice. But no, there was a moment when Karis and his uncle were discussing the mother being in the nursing home that she was in. And the uncle said, who has the money for that? And the very next shot was that party that Chris was putting on. And you saw all these cars pulling up to that really nice house. And, you know, just this ostentatious display of money. And that moment, I was like, I am so glad Chris is so wealthy to to show this disparity. Yeah. It was actually a wonderful moment that still that still means something. 50 years. Has it been 50 years? Yeah, it'll be this yeah, year. 50 years. Exactly, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, that that moment still rings really true. 50 years later, and I liked it a lot. 
So how much do you think Regan remembers? Well, Exorcist 2 tells me she's been lying the whole time, but Exorcist 2 is a lie of a movie, so... <laughs> I haven't seen Exorcist 2, but there must be... Don't. I just don't. don't. Like, Ryan, get out of the house. Don't. That's what I've been told. I've seen Exorcist yeah. 3, and I think I'm going to keep it with those two, and maybe the, the, the new, new new one. But she must remember something or dream about it or something. It's just you can't forget all of that. Well, I mean, she clearly has an awareness after Pazuzu leaves her in those moments because she's having an emotional breakdown right after Karis goes out the window. But, I mean, there's the maybe she has no direct memory of the moment, but she definitely knows something happened to her because she saw the physical signs of it. And she woke up and her room is padded and there's a priest that there are two dead priests around. She's a smart girl. She can start adding up a couple of things. It may it may resemble a dream that the the very conscious memory of it diminishes very quickly after it's over. But the fact is, she sees a priest and she grabs him up into a hug and gives him a kiss on the cheek, which certainly seems to indicate she associates a priest's collar with safety or comfort or goodness in some way. Because she read the novel, The Exorcist by William Peter Blatty. And I did too. <laughs> like, I wanted to go find a priest. I'm like, come on, man, bring it in. Yeah. I'd love to see. I don't think, the, I don't know if they did this in the Exorcist too, like her reaction to an Ouija board. Now I imagine mm. it would be like a, a trigger of some kind. The one that does do that, that, that's interesting, and this is a little spoilery, but they did an Exorcist TV show, and spoiler, the the first season ends up being about the adult Reagan McNeil. Um, and, but it's it's not it like it's a reveal at the end of an episode, so it like it for a while it's not about that, and then it's like oh, it's suddenly about that, and she definitely has some feelings about what happened to her, and. Some of the iconic and and she's a bit too devoutly Catholic as an adult. Like she's taken some of those things and put them in bad directions. I'm glad you mentioned the Ouija board, though, because as I was going to bed last night, you pulled out your Ouija board. Oh, hell no. Listen, <laughs> listen, Sorry, this, science based brain, this, this science based brain wants nothing to do with a Ouija board. Okay, I see no reason to test that. I know it's not going to work. I know nothing's going to happen. There is no reason for me to test it. Thank you. Um, no, as I was as I was going to bed last night, I just kept circling around the why Reagan. Why I, I could not come up with any good reason why Reagan got picked, and but the Ouija board would have opened her up to that. So. Well, she was already doing it by herself, yeah. which any Ouija board lore that you know, you are never supposed to do it by yourself. There's nothing, we're not, it's not during the age of the internet where it tells you how to close it, how to do, you know, how to be safe. Mm -hmm. Other side of that coin, this thing was looking for Marin and knew Reagan would be the closest way and easiest way to get that final showdown. I remember if the, the Marin thing is in the movies. I think it might be in the book. In uh, 10th grade, I was at a Catholic high school and the teacher stood up and told us the real story of the exorcist to like scare us. And it was in that version of the story for sure. Also scared the ever living shit out of me. I think a 15 year old. The, um, the backward speech that she does has the name Marin in it. 
Yeah. 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 So, that's the only reason why, because I had the subtitles on, so on that backward speech, because I had never caught it mm-hmm. before. And so, and then hearing it in the subtitles, like, oh, oh, okay, they're looking for Marin. So, Ryan, you mentioned 10th grade. I read this during achievement test time in 8th grade, and my 8th grade teacher saw that I was reading it, and then derailed the class to tell us all what it was about, and and to tell us about how one of his show the showing that he went to see it people were screaming in the theater and one lady yelled out she was possessed now side note i need to point out that particular teacher it came out later was a raging alcoholic and uh was drinking on the job found that out many 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 years later but yeah that was a it wasn't a scared uh scared straight story i guess (laughs) Um, Mac is currently trying to influence us with subliminal imagery, but... I don't even think it's subliminal. <laughs> yeah, it stays for that long. I don't think Mac knows how subliminal imagery is supposed to work. I'm I'm introducing the idea, and now I will do what I need to do. <laughs> so he has, he has an image of Captain Howdy. Okay, it went away. Oh, dear. Oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. He flashed it there for a second. Oh! Yep, yep, there we go. Good job, <laughs> Mac. I was playing the long game there, Donna. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I remember my dad telling about this movie and how it had scared him so badly. And he said that he knew people that needed therapy after seeing it in the theaters. Yeah, with a Catholic therapist, because well, yeah, or I think priests would be a good option given yeah. the the circumstances. <laughs> yeah, like sometimes you need a priest. William Peter Blatty did a very good job of Mac and I are sitting here talking about meeting priests. Yeah, like he's, he's getting the job done. There's been a lot of material trying to bring people into the Catholic Church, and that this got anywhere near the zone of bringing me in. It'd be interesting to see what those uh, enrollment numbers. I don't know how that worked. Yeah, this yeah. Came I, out. I'd like to see some data about yeah. you know when when the uh, when when the Exorcist was released and you know membership in Catholic Church. So that would be interesting to see. Give me one second. We did an episode on Magic Priests and I think I actually researched this. Oh wow. Okay. Let me see if I can find those notes. It's gonna take me a second though. Would it be more people irreligious or other denominational people becoming Catholic or would it be lapsed Catholics resuming their faith? Either. Okay. Yeah I think either would just point to while Ryan is researching, I should point out that the copy of the exorcist book that I read was my mother's because it was on her bookshelf uh-huh. right next to Helter Skelter. So now we know why you became the way you are. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. There's, there's plenty of evidence for that. Oh, yeah. Mac, there was no doubt. Mac, I have shared the story of, yeah. of, of her wanting someone to watch nine of the living dead with her and like, ask your five-year-old child to watch it with you. That's, that's fine. That's fine. And then add in being growing up in the eighties, it's fine. It's fine. While Ryan's looking that up, I'll bring up a point. Uh, so the book, like, and I'm trying to remember the the male man service. It was Carl. 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 Yeah. 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 Uh, the book very specifically gives Carl an alibi for killing Burke that makes it clear that Reagan and, and Pazuzu did it. I don't think the movie makes that clear enough for me. Like, it's certainly possible that Carl still did it because they make an absolute feast out of that scene at the party where about the whole Nazi thing. And Kinderman is really like hovering around this thing. 
I'm not sure Carl didn't do it. Yeah, you even have Kinderman and the scene with Chris, just that whole like discussion and just him kind of checking the whole residency out. I mean, like you could make an argument. There's two different films in this. There mm-hmm. is the police investigation of Burke's death, which goes nowhere. Yeah, it goes nowhere, but this is seventies and you yeah. know, it's, it's supposed to show the bleakness. Mm-hmm. And then of course, possession. Yeah. In the film, it definitely seems like the murder. I think in the book though, it's a running bit with, Burke making fun of Carl. Um, a lot of running bits just turned into one scene. Yeah. So they don't yeah. seem as funny, but in the book, like Kinderman and Karas calling each other the names of different movie stars, every time they see each other, there's like 10 of those exchanges and they're not particularly funny. I think the joke is that Vladdy knew they were going to make a movie about this and they're talking about who right. play them. Um, so that makes it into the film, but as not a bit. So, because what, I mean, they, they even mentioned Paul Newman, and Paul Newman was like the studio's top choice for Karis going in. So what was the deal with the cop trying to pick up priests? <laughs> I mean... He's just a movie fan and wants somebody to go to the movies to him. And that's relatable, too. I'm relating to a cop. <laughs> I'm relating to a priest. I am discombobulated in this movie. Matt, just, just called growth. He just... Every time he meets a priest, he tries to take them to dinner and take them to a movie. I just, I just have concerns. That's it. I just have concerns. I don't know. As someone who's going to movies with is my love language and everybody that's currently on the screen has been to a movie with me, then you are. And, and it's not a, it's not, it's not untoured. It's just, you, you're, you're in the club. I, I, I see you and I like you. It's, it's yeah. a good club. Okay. Yeah. It is. It is a good club. It is a good club. So those notes do not exist. I definitely researched it. I don't remember what I came up with, but okay. it, it does not exist in my notes. I'm sorry. But, but the point is there was a measurable change in the mid seventies, possibly owing to the movie. I can't remember what the change was though. It might've just stayed the same and people might've just liked the movie. Um, that may have been why I didn't write it down, but I didn't write it down. So I just can't be sure. Uh, okay. Fair, fair, fair. Yeah. I also think Speaking of Burke and everybody, there's a weird like vibe between like uh, it almost feels like Burke and Chris McNeil are lightly based on Roman Polanski and Mia Farrow, just in in their just in their (laughs) dynamic. And it doesn't quite add up the more you learn about them, obviously, but. Uh, it feels like that was a like maybe he heard about the making of Rosemary's Baby and that's where the template for the characters came in. It's interesting because um, Vladdy did see Rosemary's Baby and hated it. I forget the exact quote. I wrote about this for Diabolik once, but Vladdy kind of felt like Rosemary's Baby wrote about the devil in a very non-religious way. Mm. As like a staunch Catholic that made him mad enough to write The Exorcist. I can see that. Well, yeah. yeah, because the Satanists, and there were some air quotes there that, you know, you couldn't see. Uh, the, the the Satanists in Rosemary ba- Rosemary's Babies are kind of, the Satanists in Rosemary's Baby are kind of a joke. You know, there's the, yeah. there are these older people who, you know, are doing naked rituals and they're, you know, they're funny. You, you laugh at them. 
So I could see, I could see that. I could, I could see where that would make Vladdy angry as a, as a devout Catholic. Kind of off topic. I'm also convinced if this film was made today, A24 would make it. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Not any sequels or anything, just this specific film. Like Bloomhouse is involved in Believer, right? Right. Bloomhouse oh, yeah. is, but I'm just saying this This film as it's made. Yeah. Yeah. And eight and Bloomhouse would make Rosemary's baby. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, I can say that. So just real quick, the shot of Marin arriving at Chris's mm-hmm. house is it's still iconic. It still slaps. It's the poster. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. is for a reason. Like, when it happened, I was like, damn, that's still a good shot. Like, ooh, that's still... Uh, the help me on Reagan's belly written still disturbs my calm. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. All right. What else do we have about this? Really, the only other comment I would make was I was a little irritated at the doctors being portrayed as some sort of intellectuals who weren't listening. Because, listen, you take a kid displaying neurological symptoms to a doctor, they're going to give you a neurological diagnosis, okay? That's just what's going to happen. And they're the ones that came up with the exorcist. Like, I don't know. Like, go call a priest, lady. Your HMO is up. A doctor (laughs) is not going to give you a diagnosis of demonic possession. It's not going to happen. It's not because he's some high flying intellectual in his ivory tower that's just his job okay i'm done disagree with your logic but i think the movie works in large part because it comes from the doctor i'm pretty sure they they really did some of those tests on linda blair um so like we're completely convinced and one of the just off off uh one of the techs actually murdered someone later on and went to jail for it um so there's that too. Um, but I think with them actually doing those tests and the doctor saying like, we've got nothing, we're going to do a possession. I think is one of the most persuasive moments in the film, even if you're absolutely right, Donna, that no real doctor is going to say, get the priest. Mm-hmm. Okay. But to be fair, they didn't say that because they believed she was possessed. They said That's that true. because they thought that she believed she was possessed and this would by power of suggestion. Cause her to fix herself. I think Ryan really is hitting upon something like all those medical tests that they did on her, like uh, drawing the samples and all that stuff. That looks like it was really done. Like there is not a flinching cutaway bullshit movie moment in a lot of those medical procedures. Yeah, no, they did. This is this was another moment where the blood draws looked like real blood draws. And the other thing I would say is a 12 year old who's behaving the way Reagan has been behaving should have been sedated. I think she was. In the context of the book, she spends a lot of time sedated, especially when yeah. being examined by medical professionals. Yeah. The movie doesn't make it explicit. And in fact, the book makes a little bit of a run out of it that, uh, you know, she's so heavily medicated that there, there's a very real chance. And the movie, like, touches on it for a second that Reagan could die, not because the demon is taking over, but because we have overdrugged her and her respiratory system is on the edge of collapsing. There's one point during an MRI where she kind of cries out and in the course of crying out, her head moves a lot. And as somebody who's had a couple MRIs, I can tell you the techs would be yelling at you Mm. a Mm. lot. 
So, but then she'd come back with, you know, like something really personal about them. Like, yeah, I know you killed that bicyclist. <laughs> and it's like, oh, well, then never mind. Uh, you you move as much as you want, sweetheart. We'll, your we'll husband figure wants it out. to sleep with your sister. <laughs> he thinks she's prettier than you are. Yeah. Yeah, I just was a little annoyed. Like, the doctor's stupid because he didn't diagnose demonic possession. I mean, Dr. Donna, don't you diagnose demonic possession? I have diagnosed demonic possession in a couple of chihuahuas. It's true. Um, But have you met chihuahuas? I have. We we have one in our neighborhood that I have to Mm -hmm. speak very sternly to because the tiny dog terrifies my giant dog. And I don't like that. Well, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, I think I think about three quarters of chihuahuas are possessed. I I speak very sternly to to said chihuahua. As you should to the demon, like yeah. don't don't yeah. let them run. This is this is our exorcist. It's not the Zeus exorcist. Try some holy water and yeah. the power of Christ. <laughs> yeah. Try that. Like hey, Marin's coming in. I've done this for a month. I we, we can we can listen to your bullshit all day. I ain't got nothing more to do. <laughs> I've cleared my calendar for the rest of my damn life. <laughs> And then the Chihuahua will say, this ain't the demon. This is all me. <laughs> I have reviewed a lot and watched, a, when I was writing Wicked Horror, I reviewed a lot of bad exorcism movies. And I've watched just a lot of bad exorcism movies. And they all fail, one, in what we mentioned before about how in The Exorcist, we spend an hour going just to medical tests that all look very painful and all look very real. Other exorcism movies tend to skip that step. They go straight to the priest. Um, which kills the verisimilitude. The other thing they fail at, they never go as hard as The Exorcist. And I don't think there's a scene in film as disturbing as Reagan masturbating with the the bloody crucifix. Uh, Masturbating may even be the wrong word, maybe sexually mutilating herself with this crucifix. And then when her mother comes in, grabbing her face, shoving into her crotch and yelling, lick me. Um, I don't think there's anything as disturbing as that anywhere else. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It's a it's a expert display of restraint followed by going absolutely to the maximum gear once you're done with yeah. restraint. Yeah, uh, v- very good at tone. Because that's the scene where Burson gets pushed down right in the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. like so the cry out that she does when she hits the floor, she really hurt her back. Like there was some safety concerns that happen with this film same thing with linda blair when she's going up and down up and down on the bed there was a malfunction in the rigor and like i want to say she broke her back or something happened with her back like she is physically injured in this film like there were good news is she only has to be in bed for the rest of the movie yeah there were some safety issues that 72 they they weren't the best at right yeah, yeah. I read a book of William Friedkin interviews for a review. I, I, I reviewed a book of William Friedkin interviews. And you know that scene in The French Connection, which he filmed before this? I think very shortly, like a, within five years before this. I think it was the movie immediately before this. But Yes. Yeah. Um, there's a scene in that movie where Gene Hackman is chasing a subway car in his car, and he hits all these other cars. That's a very dangerous stunt. And in the interviews, he's like, we didn't have any permits. We just went. So those people you see who are screaming at him for hitting their car are actually screaming at him for hitting their fucking car. Well, oh, at least no. they don't have permits. Maybe they did have extras. Maybe those were set cars. I imagine they did not get all of those spaces. Um, yeah. 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 
So I mean, clearances were, were, a, were a stack of, of of hundreds, and you just were like, "There you go, there you go, yeah. there you go." <laughs> yeah. Um, so William Friedkin has this like history. Um, if you read about what happened to Mercedes McCambridge, who did Pazuzu's voice, they had her like smoking cigarettes, just destroying her voice. And I've heard that she's never actually fully recovered. It's like it's hard because these movies are excellent, and I think part of the reason they're excellent is there's just no safety attack. I would rather have worse movies with safety intact, though. Like, I don't want someone to have permanent vocal damage for me to get scared. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, it is an interesting question of, like, how, how far can you go for a movie? Because ultimately, yeah, we, we've fawned over qualities and talked about how some qualities are less than, but it's still just a movie. Like, it's not the second coming of Christ. Man, I... This movie's done something to me. I'm I'm gonna have to work through some things. Well, Macula has our quote. Now, once he said it, <laughs> you have to qualify the quote beforehand. Yeah. Well, once he said it, all of us were like, "Yeah, that's it." Conversation stopped. I also gave a very impassioned argument for the quote. You did. You did, and it is objectively one that is well known, but will not ever make a poster. Yeah. And. We really had no, we we had nothing else. Like once it was like no notes. That's this is our quote. Your mother sucks cocks in hell, Karis. I was gonna. I was thinking about doing the Pazuzu voice. I think it's funnier if I if I give it the radio <laughs> English on there. <laughs> okay, we could say a lot about Pazuzu. Pazuzu is a merchant of lies and and uh, you know the demon of the skies and 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 all that. Uh, bad bad malevolent force but that's unassailably funny and and it is the mark of a true comic stylist that in that room those two are not going to laugh but it is the correct joke at that moment and pazuzu offers it anyway that is yeah like credit where credit is due pazuzu knows what's funny which yeah, brings I, me back to, to Beetlejuice. You know, I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. Go ahead. <laughs> it's probably worth noting, William Peter Blatty did write for the Marx Brothers for a long time. I don't think we've mentioned that before. I think that's part of the reason The Exorcist is just so funny. This is a comedy writer coming over yeah. to horror. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's amazing. I have our rule. Which it's just a good it's a it's a good life rule in general and would also have saved this saved you in this film, but avoid conversations with the demon. The only addition I had on that was remember your cues because if you didn't have conversation with the devil, you would have been on top of your cues. But the the whole exorcist goes south when Karis is just mind wandering after uh, Pazuzu's needling him a little bit, and if he had you know gotten the response right they could have gotten through the exorcist and had a cup of tea afterwards but no, no. things went, things went pear-shaped indeed <laughs> and you have our poll question mac so the opening sequence well there's a quick open in the directors and uh version you've never seen before there's a quick shot of georgetown immediately following there on there's a prolonged sequence in northern iraq where we meet marin and he is engaging in a dig now is that scene symbolic or are we meant to believe that Marin or the the act of that archaeological dig unleashed Pazuzu to go find Reagan McNeil and he's more involved in the action of the plot from the beginning than we maybe 
might might think originally. So what you're asking is, did Marin disturb his grave, and that that is what unleashed him and yeah. sought out Reagan? Essentially, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Did Marin? It was. And it wasn't even necessarily Marin because somebody else unearthed these items. Is it just meant to tell Marin something sort of metaphysically, or did he do something that started this plot on its on its way? I'm of the opinion that the opening sequences, you know, with Marin are basically because we had Max von Sydow on set and just really didn't want to waste that opportunity. It's like, get me some footage of Max. I don't care. Just give us a desert set. Cool. Okay. He's between Bergman movies. Let's just use him as much as we can. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think that was about. I think I think we can we can shoehorn in some story. Just get me Max. The book footage. follows Marin. It, it, the book has essentially the same plot structure. So there is that yeah. archaeological sequence, for lack mm-hmm. of a better term, in the book too. And the, yeah, at that point, it could have been George C. Scott. You don't even know. I'm of uh, two minds on this. One of them is that I want it to, to an extent. I want him to be unleashing Pazuzu um, because that makes it worth including this beyond the fact that we need him to be in the first act. So when he comes in the third act, it's not like, well, who the hell is this? Yeah. Um, then I've also heard that, uh, so they had that, that scene with the top of how he had an exorcism that lasted 10 days in Africa. I think this might have been the high school teacher saying it, but the... <laughs> Mac flipped on the, the little messaging again. Um, that the, the the same demon from the ten day exorcism. So the the exorcism, the exorcist is a rematch. And if that's true, Marin obviously didn't disturb Pazuzu awake. Right. Pazuzu is already awake and, and gunning for him at that point. And then, like the almost coincidental discovery of the small Pazuzu item and, and the larger Pazuzu statue. It's just Pazuzu fucking with him. Like, I'm still around. Yeah. Go to Georgetown, baby! <laughs> Gonna see the sights. I love the idea of it being like a metaphysical warning. Like, letting Marin know, you got a big fight coming. Like, yeah. you need to go to Woodstock, smoke some good weed. Man, the, the priests are cool dudes! What? <laughs> I mean, come on, the priests are smoking and drinking. I, yeah. I I don't I don't know how they feel about that. How I don't know. So I'm not no 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 judgment. So yeah. I think that's just a metaphysical warning, like your big fight is coming and you need to prepare. And I love <laughs> Donna's answer of like, yeah, we have yeah. Max here, so let's let's definitely get some more. <laughs> <laughs> but that seems like way more fair play than Pazuzu's capable of. Like, you know, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm going to give you a fair warning. Get ready because I want you at your fighting weight. Take Is as many of those little nitro pills as you got to because I want to take you down at your top. But is it, is it Pazuzu warning him or God? Interesting. Interesting. Or is it the locusts from Exorcist 2, the heretic? Oh, shit. <laughs> Here, here's a new rule. Beyond just the rules that we talked about, and this okay, this is for the Jurassic Parks franchise and for the Exorcist franchise. Locusts do not a sequel make. Another thing about the Iraq sequence: the shot of Marin across from the statue when they're standing on like those peaks is just mm-hmm. probably the second best shot in the film. Yeah, great, no, agree. Great cinematography. Yeah. It's also just like the human flesh against the unerring stone. Yeah. Very symbolic. Very good. Yeah. All right. We ready to close the book on The Exorcist. Anything else? Quick 
there's a weird plot line that should have been cut where the manservant's son is addicted to heroin and the mob is coming after him for money. The do- it's and, a daughter. It's a daughter, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're but she's addicted but- to... Yeah, and I'm so glad they cut that between the book and the movie. They did, but it's the only thing that absolves Carl from having <laughs> yeah, killed Burke. True. And that's why the movie is like a little unclear. Like, okay, Pazuzu probably did it, but yeah. Only reason it was cut was because that uh, freaking couldn't find an actual heroin addict to play. In 1972, I think he could have. Well, the studio, that's where... (laughs) He didn't look hard enough. (laughs) That's where Warner Brothers was like, no, 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 no. We're still paying for those cars off French Connection. (laughs) (laughs) That was Fox. Warner Brothers is still not paying any bills on French Connection. (laughs) Well, they've they've talked. They're like, look... Because, you don't need to be supporting a junkie for Because Disney now owns the French Connection and they cut out all of the uh, racial epithets in the French Connection. Like a two-minute-long movie now? Uh, pretty much, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and on that note, who wants to go first on Happy Place? I'll go. All right. Uh, I, I may have overdosed on Exorcist-related media, so I may be able to take a break before seeing Believer. I, I really marched through everything, minus... Exorcist, uh, the beginning, the Rennie Harlan version of the prequel, and Legion, the novel. I might read Legion eventually, but as I was really into the book and I was really into the movie, but like the more you got with like Pazuzu, it got kind of depressing. So I'm not going to dwell in 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 that anymore. Except for in a week when we see Exorcist, believer. <laughs> Go ahead, Donna. Yeah. So last night my internet went out, and this morning. At about 5 a.m., my power went out because we were having some storms. But for living in a rural area in Oklahoma, we have a really good internet and power supplier who actually communicates with us. And I know my friends who live in the Tulsa area are like, I'm sorry, what did you say? Who, I who are these people? <laughs> I, I understood all of those words you said individually. But yeah, they um, around 745, the power popped back on. And a couple minutes later, I picked up my phone and saw I was connected to Wi-Fi. And I'm just going to say, I am really, really delighted that we have this little electric co-op that gives us much better power and internet than you would ever expect we would get so yay east central electric co-op of oklahoma for being really good at what they do ryan do you want to go yes my child started daycare about two weeks ago and that means from 7 a.m to 12 p.m every day i'm just like a human again like an adult who who gets to like i can do whatever i want again for five hours so that uh has been pretty great that is awesome. Yay. Yay. <laughs> so my happy place, it's kind of sappy, but, you know, it's the friends in my life that definitely includes you three and just being very thankful for the ones in my life and that are still in my life. The ones that are no longer here or or I've drifted apart from them. If we were ever friends, you're still my friend and I will still care about you. And that is my happy place. Aw. Mm. Gen Z. Yeah. Ryan, 
thank you so much for coming. Where can they find you? What you got going on? We always love having one of our horror hangover friends coming over to, to hang out with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. You can find me on Twitter at RyanB4890. My book, Saint's Blood, is out from St. Rooster's Book. And on October 1st, I'll be launching a new Patreon um, where I'll be reading some of my stories, playing some guitar with them. And on the second tier, I'll have a mini podcast, the Ha Horror Anthology Anthology, where I'll be talking to the best horror writers, podcasters, all of y'all eventually about their favorite segment or episode of an anthology horror show or movie. Very nice. Also, Horror Hangover. Check us out. Yep, y'all's podcast is dope, and we love when both of y'all are on here. And I should mention that Cast has a book out, The Caretaker, um, which I highly recommend. It's excellent. Thank you for the reminder. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. Is that out now, or I can't remember? It's out now. It came out on uh, the 15th. Nice. Well, you can find Cabin. We are on Twitter, at Beyond Cabin. We're on Instagram and Threads, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, Blue Sky, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods. We have a Facebook page, uh, our webpage, beyondthecabininthewoods.com. I am on all the social media. So if you're searching for me on Instagram, Twitter, Blue Sky, Threads, it's going to be at Callista77. Oh, I'm on Blue Sky at dragongoblin.com and Instagram at dragongoblin. There's no I in goblin, except I'm probably getting kicked off this podcast. I'm guessing. Nah. <laughs> you you liked the movie well enough. You didn't absolutely veto the idea of doing the movie for several years. That's that's true. I'll just leave that comment there. I think the devil told me to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's kind of actually a testament to the exorcist that even you and even though you and Kenzie didn't like it, your critiques weren't that like this is a bad movie. Your critiques were like it's not actually the scariest movie of all time. Yes, yeah, um, like pretty good place to land. And Karis uh, is awesome. Oh, yeah. I want to be Karis's friend and talk to him about I want to be Karis. I mean, I like the guy. I don't want to be him. <laughs> He's impoverished. His mother's dead. I don't want to be that guy. I mean, I want to hang out with that guy. Uh, yeah, but you're probably right. Yeah. Not great life circumstances in the film. <laughs> Maybe, but, you know, he, he makes it work. Uh I am findable at Party Apocalypse on various social media platforms, although Spoutable and Blue Sky are really the only places where I'm at all actively posting. Uh, this podcast and other fine podcasts are available on PartyApocalypse.com, including uh, The Holodeck is Broken and uh, Disorganized, uh, a Criminal Minds podcast. There's also complete runs of The Fourth Wall, uh, Friendables, Two Friends Talking About Hannibal Lecter, and... Uh, as the myth turns, books, blogs, movie reviews, and nothing else. The end. As always, thank you to our editor, Billy, for wrangling us, rearranging us, and making us sound professional and listenable. We do appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us if you aren't already doing so. Don't read the Latin. Except, except read in this, in this one instance, you probably should read the Latin. You know what horror is?